0: Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams.
1: And I'm Kirk McElhern.
0: Hello, and thanks for listening to us today. This is episode number 115 of The Next Track, and this episode is sort of a continuation of what we were talking about last week with our guest musician Theo Travis, and that is the three new music apps featuring Theo Travis and Robert Fripp. Three apps that were developed by today's guest, Peter Chilvers, who we've had on the show previously to talk about uh, an app he developed with Brian Eno called Reflection. He does a lot of work with Brian Eno, and we are glad to have him with us again. Welcome
1: to the show. Great to see you again, Peter. Hello, and thank you. It's great to have you back, Peter, and this episode is following up last week's episode with Theo Travis. You developed three apps with Theo, Travis, and Robert Fripp that were released a couple of weeks ago. They are called Travis and Fripp 1, 2, and 3. You can get them in a bundle. There'll be a link in the show notes. Please buy them. Great apps. If you listened to last week's episode, you heard Theo Travis talk about this process. We thought it'd be interesting to see what Peter has to say, because Theo explained to us that this all just started with an email from you suggesting, hey, what if I make an app?
2: Yeah, it, well, it's actually, <laughs> there was a little bit more to that that... um it, it was actually Theo was asking something in passing that um, <laughs> um, alerted me to the existence of all this nice audio kicking around. And I thought, yeah, we could do something with this. So it wasn't actually, um, yeah, it, it was quite unplanned. I just, but I'm a huge fan of um, well, Theo's and Robert Fripp's. I'm, Robert Fripp's Soundscape albums particularly um I don't know if you're familiar with, the uh, Blessing of Tears, but it's one of my favourite albums. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, and I think I bought that in, I think it must've been around 96, something like that. So over 20 years ago, and it made a profound impression on me. And it, um, I wanted to know how to make music in that sort of style. i just bought a Chapman stick at that point And I got very into doing lots of, um, loop textures. I bought a Lexicon Jam Man, which was, um, uh, 32 second um, digital delay unit so you could just keep layering and layering and overdubbing and overdubbing and so I got very familiar with that kind of process and the tricks that work with that sort of thing because you're invariably you're playing some audio that will end up combining with something slightly different to what you're expecting so you have to play in this quite open way and create sounds that will fit against everything and so I because I knew that both Theo and Robert were playing in that way, together they're creating sort of live, layered loops. Then I kind of just had a hunch that there would be stuff they could do where they could take performance from one um, person and combine it with a performance from another from ten years earlier, and it would still work. And lo and behold, it did. Uh, it was. It's always nice to see a theory go into um, <laughs> into practice. But um, it, I found it quite fascinating that when Theo gave me the first collection of um, audio, we just did a test run with. Um, I think it was six ninety-second clips from him, six, six thick 90-second clips from Robert. And um, I set them playing back at random. And I kept having to remind myself that this wasn't a live concert. There were just so many points when Robert would suddenly play a guitar solo and then Theo would just perfectly create a texture underneath it, then a little bass line that moved underneath that, and then Robert would create a big chord swell. well. And, of course, none of this was actually planned. None of this was real in real time, rather. It was just something that worked um and it's a mixture of reasons i think it's partly because um partly because they play in this very open way but also because our brains are constantly looking for structure in what we're hearing and i've often said with the work i do with brian that actually the best bit of software is the bit that the listener is carrying around in their head that it it knits everything together for us in a way that creates all these patterns and structure that we wouldn't really necessarily realize is there
0: as you just described and as Theo actually described to us, when you build up these loops, you're playing in a particular way because you have to play a loop that is going to work with the previous loop and so the final product is, is unto its own context and then you have, you have two gentlemen doing that process one on the guitar and one on the flute and they're both doing separate contexts but yet here you've taken them and you layer them at random and they create another meta loop of of context and it's it's absolutely fascinating. We've been listening to this app, and I like it more than reflection actually, because it seems less generative and much more free flowing within its own sort of little space. Is that what you envisioned that was was going to happen, or did you just want to see what happened when you when you layered these contextual uh, items together? I think
2: I just had a really good. I'd say hunch, but it's more than a hunch. I just kind of knew it would work. Um, I, I don't know why I had this, um, <laughs> unusual level of confidence over this, but, um, I, <laughs> it's just something about the approaches behind it that I kind of felt it had to work. And it's, I think, although it has a lot of methods in common with, um, not so much reflection, but other processes of Brian's, it's quite a different approach. Brian is typically using um, simplicity as one of his strongest tools, actually. That most of the elements he's combining are very, very simple and very, very sparse. And so, with this being live performances, it's a completely different kettle of fish, actually. It's very, um, they're very complex performances sometimes. They are full of character and full of expression and dynamics. And it's, um, I think, Brian is often at great pains to try and eliminate as much of that as possible from um what he's doing and try and create these chance situations where he knows he can have no control over the notes that are coming out um and nonetheless you get these things that are actually full of expression and full of um full of texture but with live performances i think the dynamic range is much larger um it's it's interesting for the same process it's a very different experience um I'm very curious to see what Brown makes of them, actually. I haven't played them to him yet. So, <laughs> I'm wondering if your experience
0: with... You're probably one of the world's experts on music looping because you have to sit there and listen to them over and over and over again. And I wonder if you've developed <laughs> a sense of what disparate things will go together in an okay way. Do you know what I mean? I mean, have you become an expert mm. at, at, at taking these things and putting them together? And, and can you... Can you imagine them ahead of time, more so than perhaps even Brian or Robert or Theo could initially?
2: No, I don't think I'm any more an expert. That, um, In fact, I think what's surprising with looped music is actually it's remarkably simple. So I think actually you don't have to really work with looped music long to start to understand the trick isn't in complexity, it's in simplicity, it's trying to limit yourself to a scale that you know will work or to understand what's already there and think, okay, well, I can't push out of this scale because it will break all these things. It, it, um, I think it's in some respects, that actual basic rule is quite an easy one. That said, that's not to diminish for a second what, Robert or Theo do, they create these incredibly complex, huge landscapes, and they're both extraordinary musicians. Um, obviously, in, in both cases, I'd uh, <laughs> say without hesitation, um, with way more experience, way more technique than I'll ever have. So um, it's a slightly different world the way they're doing it. They, they do have a lot more control. But I think, for me, it's just the knowledge that actually most things will work with most things when they're created in that context. As long as they're roughly in the same key, um, then you won't get clashes that you think you would do.
1: Well, what you've done is is you've taken recordings by two musicians who play together and you've separated them and then you've mixed them up to put them back together. So you've got the one mindset of Travis and the other mindset of Fripp that are going to fit together because they're in a certain musical space.
2: Yes, I... I I confess, actually, when I look back at it, I think maybe it shouldn't have been so obvious to me that it would work. (laughs) Maybe my confidence was... um, (laughs) Perhaps my confidence was um, misplaced, but nonetheless, I think it has worked. I think what perhaps isn't so obvious is that maybe a performance from um, 2000 would work with a performance from 2015 in the studio, and that would work with a live performance from a totally different piece. That might not have worked. Um, Nonetheless, it did. I, I I think credit also due to Theo making the right selections on which pieces because the the actual curation of the pieces was entirely done by Theo that was um so and he has intimate knowledge of the material so I think um I'd have found it a challenge actually trying to work out which of Robert's parts to use actually because I think he has such a extraordinary sense of harmony and melody I, I I would love to understand it better actually and I'm sure there's hundreds of books on the subject, actually, or certainly a lot of people online who might venture an opinion, I suspect.
1: (laughs) (laughs) One thing that was interesting that Theo pointed out, he said when you were beta testing the app, you found that there were points where all of a sudden both performers became silent for a bit. And I was thinking when I was listening to them that, oh, he just put in some silence so that at different places in the
2: app, there would be silence. But that
1: wasn't your original plan.
2: No, I planned for there to be a little silence but I I'd imagined actually there would always be one of them playing and there's a certain chance condition that can occur where both of them will happen to stop at around the same time and there'll be a short gap it just somehow works actually and what interested me is actually some of the things that I would have had I planned things taken out more I'd have made um, the first step I think was um, more of a Test rod isn't the right word, but we were finding our feet with it. And you'll find that the volumes vary a bit more on that first step. And oddly, I think, when I was listening to that, I thought, actually, it sounds live. You get certain situations where one musician is more at the forefront than the other. It gave it a certain um energy I wouldn't have expected and a certain dynamic. Um Intuitively, I'd have tried to eliminate that before we started, so I'm glad we didn't. That was a, a, a quite lucky discovery, I think. Um I think what i found very interesting actually with the app is that when you listen to it you listen to it the way you listen to a live performance you sit down and think well i can't control what's going to happen next i'm just going to accept it and um one of the things i debated quite um was whether there should be any controls to be able to shift between tracks and i I made a conscious decision not to put them in. Um. Yeah, yeah, good idea.
1: If I allow this music to play randomly, I should not be allowed to skip through the different tracks to try to find what I think should work. I, I want to let the serendipity work.
0: It is In that sense, it is like a live performance because you almost sit there anticipating, what are they going to do next? And they aren't doing anything. It's the app that's doing it, which is it's quite delightful actually leaving it on that loan. It, Theo thought it was crazy for us to listen to it for an hour or so, but I've had it on for an hour and a half, and I've just thoroughly enjoyed it. It creates a great atmosphere.
2: Me too, actually, and um, I think probably I have the advantage over Theo that I didn't have to edit the audio. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, can you tell us about can you tell us about the source material? I think there are about sixteen musical bits in each app. Are they all the same length? How is this organized? Um, it's. Or do we not want to know how the sausage is made, perhaps?
2: Oh, no, I don't think there's any, I I don't have any qualms about telling you how the sausage is made in this particular case. Um, The the sausage has about um, 16, I think, tracks from each of them um, in each app, um, which roughly comes to about 40 to 50 minutes so yeah it's it's roughly an album's worth of audio from each of them on each app um we initially were going to do less and and shorter clips so originally it's going to be roughly ninety second clips and then maybe it would be twenty or thirty from each of them and it's ended up it's a mixture some of them are very short, so they can be anything from one minute to five minutes, so you get some quite long performances um and that has a extra advantage it kind of sends sends things out of sync quite a bit so if You've, say, got a one-minute track from Theo playing alongside a five-minute track from Robert. Then there's going to be another track from Theo going in over that, maybe even a third one. So you get all these different recombinations. Um, it's It keeps recombining and um, recombining, actually, in ways you won't have heard before.
1: It's interesting. When you first emailed me about these apps and I downloaded them, I thought, OK, this is interesting, but I don't understand what's going on. And <laughs> I wrote right. you back and you explained it. And I realized... I don't need to understand what's going on. You, you know, with reflection, w- we didn't understand it. It's, it's, it's a different type of generative music reflection because it's an algorithm that's creating the music in, in a different way. Whereas here it's the combination. And for some reason at the beginning, I wanted to know what the combination, what the, what the, what the trick was. And then I realized after listening to it for a while, I didn't need to that it stands on its own. <laughs>
2: I mean, the the trick is quite simple, actually. I don't really mind people knowing it is just randomly recombining tracks with a, a tiny bit of um, sort of intelligence, just to make sure you don't get too much re- repetition or too much space. But um, it's yeah, it's it's not doing anything drastically clever. Um, but I think the cleverness is um is all Theo and Robert really on that one? Well, um, again,
1: the fact that they are that they have a certain mindset making this music which means that you can pull the music out of context from different periods, from different performances or studio recordings, and it does fit together because it's like it's like the, the, the Travis and Fripp mind meld <laughs> that you've put into an app that will work once you press the play button.
2: The other thing I think that was interesting is actually the differences in character between the um, uh, three apps.
1: Exactly what I was about to ask. Why did you make three apps instead of one? Uh, what it seems to me is that each app is in its own way an album.
2: Yes. I think um, initially I was thinking of them almost being like three EPs, but actually there's so much in there and so much character in there that I think actually it's more like a triple CD (laughs) in that respect. What I think was interesting is the first one... So Theo was really testing the waters out and um, throwing pretty much anything that was in the same key into that first one. And so you've got quite a wide variety of sounds in there. Um, And I think that's got this quite sort of chaotic character. that, In some way, is more like hearing... um, Maybe it's what it would have been like hearing some of their first few gigs, where they're both sort of learning each other's style, learning what fits against each other. And then the second one, I think most of the tracks come from... I think they come from the same piece but on different performances and so i think with these cases the pieces are quite rather than it being a set of prescribed notes it's a quite loose concept anyway but so there's a bit more coherence between them and a bit more space and texture and i think that one i think the second one was my favorite actually i think that one really um breathes nicely
0: the second one is the one that i've been listening to most and it does have a coherence that is uh pleasurable quite delightful actually it's just delightful to listen to Mm. So maybe, and you say it's all all the all the piece, all the loops are from one piece. Is that why? So I think
2: they're um, they're certainly from s- similar collections. Actually, okay. if, you, if you don't mind me just briefly looking at spreadsheets, oh. I've got. That's how rock and roll, roll we are. We've got spreadsheets.
0: <laughs> awesome.
2: I I actually think the spreadsheet is one of my most useful tools in music. It's 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 um you, you play the database as a musician. You play the database. <laughs> well, I, I first started it, it was actually um when um, I worked on the Lovely Bones soundtrack, which was um, this kind of dream team of Brian Eno. Um, Leo Abrahams, who's this extraordinary guitarist he works with, and John Hopkins, who is um, now ex- very well known as the most amazing electronic artist as well. Um, and the three of them would just improvise for hours and hours and hours on end. Um, and so I think there was something like 14 hours of recording Um and the idea was to select bits that worked for the soundtrack. So I just created this enormous database where saying, OK, well, five minutes in, this bit sounds like this, this sounds here. They do this weird sound that sounds like an electric toothbrush, whatever. I just this huge list of stuff. And then um, as we were getting instructions from the director saying we need something for this, we could very quickly pull out whatever we needed. So, um, so yeah, big fan of spreadsheets. But I digress. Um <laughs> So yeah, looking at, um, looking at the spreadsheet for this, actually all of Robert's um, performances came from different versions of what's called Duet for the End of Time, which I suspect is a collection of pieces rather than a single piece. So I think they've got a certain coherence to it.
1: No, it's, uh, on, on, the, on the recently released CD set, Between the Silence, Duet for the End of Time shows up as either the last or the next to last track in each concert.
2: Okay. So yes, but it is a particular either a particular piece or approach. Um, yeah, and certainly hearing familiar motifs in there and so on. I um, I'm, Theo would have, would be the better person to ask this. In fact, I'm looking at yeah, the same's true. I think for Theo is almost all duet for the end of time, and then there were five new studio recordings he did at the end of it as well. So, um, so yeah, I think that's why that one has a bit more sort of uh, coherence than the others. It's, they're all taken the, from and a that's the second collection. one. right? Yes, that's it. Um, and so what's in the third one the third one actually is actually that's a mixture i think that's all based around a piece called pastoral actually as well but there's quite a few rehearsal recordings of that and studio recordings as well so there's a mixture of new recordings rehearsal ones and live performances in that as well so, so and you
0: got rehearsal audio too so you really had a choice of anything that they recorded
2: Yes, I, I said it's really Theo who was making that choice actually, but I think that he I, just right. has an that's enormous right. archive of their stuff. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, anything went, and I think they, I think they recorded everything at high quality. So, so it's all fair game, really. Um, but yeah, it's surprising how much these things gel. We can't
1: discuss these apps without also mentioning the visuals, which I believe this is your creation, correct?
2: Yes, I I have to say I had such a blast doing the visuals. It's, it's a side that I I really love doing. And in in reality, most of the visuals with the other apps have been guided by Brian to some degree or, or driven by him. Cause he is a visual artist and I'm not by background. I, um, I'm not an artist, full stop, but I love finding ways to sort of express animations that are driven in some way by audio in this case or other factors and um yeah it was really nice to be let loose on those actually so the visuals
1: are sort of slowly morphing lines in in a group of colors so the third one is sort of blue and aquamarine and purple the first one is reddish and pink and purple and the second one is sort of orange and green a sort of autumn palette in the second one yeah
2: well I originally started there, there was a theme to it originally I was thinking of them as red green and blue so if you look that, that, those will be the predominant colours but yeah. they they kind of actually started to turn into um, I was going to say earth, wind and fire it's um, <laughs> certainly the second one is earth the, the third sure one is blood, more sort of watery <laughs> 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 perhaps for Theo I suspect <laughs> it's um, that was a lot of editing
1: but <laughs> uh, the, the visuals are entrancing in the in the same way that reflection is a different type of visual, but the visuals are entrancing. And, and it, you know, sometimes you put it on to listen to the music and it's sitting on my desk and I'm listening to it. Then I'm drawn to the visuals and I just sit there and space out for a little while watching it.
0: I've lost a lot of hours. <laughs> Thank you.
2: I've lost about an hour just suddenly being captured by it and just hypnotized by it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, well, me too, to be honest, actually. I, I, it's, it was very... Yeah. Um, that's the nice thing is when you get to the test point on this, that it's... Um... It was uh, very pleasant to work on. So you've been
1: doing this for a while now. B- was Was Bloom your first app? This
2: is. It is. It's yeah. It is ten years. It's um so ten years ago. Is it that long? No, it's not ten years ago. It is. Yeah, well, Bloom had a very odd history because it actually existed about a year and a bit before the App Store. I think it predated the iPhone. In fact, um, so it was. I had this demo. Brand uses a. Um, Wacom tablet to draw, and um, so we, I did this test. Well, I had just this simple animation of expanding, um, expand, expanding circles on the screen. There's something quite nice about it, and we tested it out with this Wacom tablet, and it um, it worked really well. And we're thinking, gosh, it's a shame touch screens aren't around more. And then Apple came along and invented an iPhone, <laughs> and um, then the um, App Store appeared. So um, we did. We almost were there for launch. It was nearly ready, but. Um, I think it was October. So, uh, so, yes, it's coming up for 10 years. So what's next? Um, probably nothing I can tell you about, I'm afraid. it's uh, There are things in development. I'm trying to think if there's anything I can say. I I can say what I have been doing, which is a lot of mostly visual work, actually. Um, uh, branded a couple of installations out in... Um, let's see, one was in... Were they both in Germany? One was in Berlin, anyway, which had these... Um, slowly changing images of circles. Um, and I developed a quite complex system for him to design um, images with and it will animate them, make them change colour and do some really quite peculiar things. And um, I have to say, it's probably the work I'm most proud of so far. And I, I suspect that will um, find its way uh, way out in, in future at some point as well. But um, but certainly the Berlin um, installation was the... Um, the first test of that and that was very enjoyable there. Were these six gigantic screens with these um slowly changing um circles on there and a beautiful um ambient piece by Brian. And it was it was very odd actually. It's one of those moments I used to used to love in things like Buck Rogers where you'd they'd have a scene of a, a nightclub in the future and they'd all be doing something weird like touching a glowing tube or something and um in this case just seeing this group of sort of Berliners all sitting um, cross-legged on the floor, surrounded by this hexagon of screens with um, this ambu- with slowly changing circles. I thought, yeah, this would have fitted on Buck Rogers. This would have looked good. <laughs> so it's um, yeah, it was that was a quite strange one. So these
1: apps have been extremely well received. Both Reflection, which has been out now for more than a year, if I'm not mistaken, and these three Travis and Fripp's apps. This is this is a new form of musical creation, isn't it? You're 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 at the vanguard here of something that. Uh, in in the first case with reflection is taking a a concept that Brian had been using in generative music and in this one taking live and studio performances and putting them together but creating something new through the app and I guess in the early days of computers we thought that computers would do this sort of thing and they never did and all of a sudden you've kind of snuck them in (laughs) with this new way of music making it's really quite fascinating when you think about it
2: yeah, well, One of the challenges actually is I think one of the most interesting things sometimes with music is actually these more passive experiences like Reflection or the Travis and Thrip one and the difficulty there is getting people into the idea that software that does nothing can still be interesting so um, <laughs> um, I actually had a bit of a I had a bit of a challenge releasing it, actually. It initially got rejected, So, um, but when I submitted it to the App Store, and um, I think I had, uh, oh. due to minimal functionality, and um, oh. I had to kind of explain. And I I think I, I put a fairly good case, I think, apart from anything else linking to reflection and saying, look, this does it, which essentially boils yeah. down to the argument, if it's okay for Brian Eno, can't it be okay for Robert Fripp too? But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think the truth is... who. I tend to forget that generative music is not necessarily something that everybody has a grasp on. And so if you're someone who has been processing app requests all day and you get something in which is a sort of fizzy screen that plays an album, then they're going to think, well, this... Why can't this just be an album or a live video? So right. I think I had to explain what it was doing, why it could only be an app, and why it really needed to be a, a app on a mobile phone specifically. And um, it can
0: only be an app. That's the interesting thing. Mm. It can only be an app. It cannot be produced organically or you know in real life. It, it's that's the interesting thing
2: about it. No, well, I, the only thing you could do is um, is something that um, Brian used to do, which is to. Um, He'd have a room with, um, say, eight ghetto blasters, all playing CDs of different lengths, um, right. playing around. And this is arguably the same technique, uh, although reached via a different route. Um, but, the- but, for, but for those of us with only seven boomboxes, we'd never get the effect. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> it's, uh, people yeah. are cheapskates and just won't invest in that eighth one. <laughs> but it, it it is interesting
1: that it can be only an app, that we're looking at music. And, and so in the case of Reflection, Brian released this also as a CD where he took a 60-minute segment of it and said, this is a canonical segment. And mm. so it has an existence as a CD or as a stream on streaming services. But with the Travis and Fripp apps, you couldn't even do that. I mean, you could play them for an hour and make a CD from them, but th- it wouldn't make sense.
0: You'd miss yeah. out. You'd miss out on hours of, of <laughs> delight. I think so, Yes.
1: Well, it's not, no, it's not only that. With reflection, I understand the logic of, of taking a one hour slice, but with the Travis and Fripp, it doesn't really make sense the same way. No. Because it's not an algorithm, it's it's a combination of things that's constantly churning. I mean,
2: you could, but it wouldn't have the same sense as reflection. No, no. I think reflection, because it was, reflection was kind of a continuous texture with um, subtle variations. This is actually a whole different thing. Um, it's yeah, you're right. It wouldn't work. You could theoretically you could release 256 albums, but <laughs> I think maybe that's pushing the um, Travis and Trip fans uh, fan base a bit. That would be a big box set.
1: <laughs> I mean, I know King Crimson releases big box sets. We were talking about them on the previous episode, but this would be a lot. Yeah, for King I...
2: Crimson, that's an EP. But it's, uh... <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we certainly look forward to hearing more of your apps. And and really, I'm, I'm quite excited to see what you have been doing and what this suggests that might come in the future with other types of music and other random generative combinations. And again, you said not everyone understands generative music. But for those of us who do, I think this is a fascinating time for music.
2: Yes, I think so. I'd love to see more done with it. I think we're really just uh, scraping the surface at the moment. There's so much more that can be done, I think. Um, Well, get to work. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, why are you wasting your time hanging out with middle-aged podcasters? It's always a pleasure talking to you both. Thanks. Thank
1: you very much, Peter, for joining us again. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. Before we wrap up, as we do every week...
0: We're going to present our next tracks. Kirk?
1: This week, I'm going to go back to an album that Brian Eno did with John Cale. This is called Wrong Way Up. It was from 1990. It's one of those song albums. You know, Eno did the four song albums in the 1970s, taking Tiger Mountain, Before and After Science, etc. And then he didn't do any song albums until this one in 1990. It's 10 tracks, and it's got some of the most compelling music that I've ever heard either John Cale or Brian Eno record. And and in particular, there are three tracks that I love. The first one is Lay My Love. The second one is Spinning Away. And the third one is The River. These are just beautiful tracks. And there's bounciness in some of this music. There's mellow ambience in some of the music. There is, you can hear the Eno, you can hear the Cale. There's a combination of two musical personalities here that fit together so well. And it's a very short album. It's only 41 minutes and, and it makes you regret that there's not like an expanded version of this album with a bunch of bonus tracks that they didn't release. So Wrong Way Up by Brian Eno and John Cale, especially the song Spinning Away, one of the best songs ever. Doug, what about you?
0: I have been listening to an album that I bought in 1994. It is by a band called Sugar. And Sugar is a band put together by Bob Mould. You may know Bob Mould from Husker Du. Now, I was not a big fan of of Husker Do. They, I don't know why. They're maybe you're a little too punky or something. Some of their stuff I like, but I'm largely indifferent to Husker Do. But when I first heard Sugar, this new power trio that Bob Mould had done, I liked it better because it's very poppy. Um, they put out two albums and an EP. This was their last album. And it's more poppier than the first. It had two or three, what I thought were radio songs on it. In fact, when I first heard it, it was on a, a college station, and I remember saying to the... I was at a, an alternative radio station myself at the time, and I remember saying, how come we're not playing Sugar? And, you know, the reason you usually get in in situations like that is, this album isn't going anywhere. And true enough, it didn't really go anywhere. Um, a lot of Bob Mould fans are kind of, eh, on it. But I really like it, and I'll tell you why. It's It's good, solid, power pop rock the guitars have great delay and great compression uh the drums are really nicely processed it's just is a great sounding record and as i said there are easily two or three poppy sort of songs on here that i think with a little help from the record company could have done a little bit better but anyway i love it a lot and i when it first came out i listened to it constantly so i'm going to listen to it a couple more times this week sugar file under easy listening is my next track This has been The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.